This next interview is all about doing the right things. That's what we do at the Hero Factor and the Hero Club is doing the right things for the right reasons because you can. And Matt Daigle is the founder and CEO of Rise, the leading online authority in sustainable home improvement. Now, while Matt always had a love of renovation, the do-it-yourself and flipping houses, the birth of his first child, the challenges he'd faced in his own home renovations and his innate desire to build social impact companies is what led to the creation of Rise. Now, Rise has helped over a million North American homeowners turn their home improvement projects into sustainable ones. And we know that's important. And Rise became a B Corp early in 2019. I'm kind of on a run with these B Corps. And so we talk a little bit about that. We talk about, hey, do you want old or new stuff? We talk, I thought uh, off gas. He said something about off gas. Go look that up. I had to go look it up to make sure it was is what I thought it was. And so those are some cool things that you're going to hear in this show. And it's a really good interview. A young guy's doing the right things. He's been featured in countless publications, and I'm so glad to have Matt with us. So welcome, Matt, right here on The Hero Factor. The Hero Factor is that special core fundamental that stands some companies apart to achieve true greatness. There's no better time than now to discover and revive your business story. Your origin story begins now. Hey, first question, New Brunswick. I mean, you're up there, way up in the north, as we would call from down here in the States. Uh, I got to ask you, Curse of Oak Island, is it real or not real? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Your guess is as good as mine. Do you guys watch the show? I mean, does anyone in New Brunswick watch the show? Or you guys just go, no, these guys are bullshit. They're from Michigan. What do we care? We're we're calling bullshit, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they, I don't know how they know so much about it. I, I like to watch the show just because it's it's just interesting to watch people. And the guy will find a button and he will. I think he has like an orgasm when he has a button. He finds yeah. a button and he almost goes crazy. I mean, he's, he's a Brit. I think he's a Brit or maybe he's Australian. I couldn't I can't tell from the accent. But anyway, he's the guy's got to get a life. He's got to get a life. That's what I have to say. <laughs> he's really stuck on it. He's got that set in his mind that he's going to find something. He's he's going to be there for a while. You know, this kind of ties into construction and everything else too, but the, you know, cause they use a lot of stuff on the show, but uh, they actually found an old stone that, that was in a building that had been in this building that used to be in display somewhere in somewhere. I don't know where the hell it's at. Uh, you got to excuse me. I'm a typical American. I don't know everything about New Brunswick geography. I should probably know better, but I want to get up there sometime. But <laughs> They found some stone. I thought that was cool. They went looking for the stone, and they went down to the basement of these buildings, and they rummaged around, and they found it. And it had been sitting there for like 70 years. That I thought that was cool. Oh. Yeah. And there's nothing more interesting than that. All right. Hey, listen, brother. <laughs> I want to get in and talk about what you're doing, because I'm intrigued. You know, we're here at the Hero Factor. We're always looking for people who live in their values and do the right things for the right reasons. Many businesses like yours start with a personal story and, and Rise is no different. Tell us how the birth of your first daughter motivated you to do this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So a few years back, five, six years now, uh, my wife and I, we ended up buying our first home together. And like many homes these days, it was a fixer-upper of a project. So it was a, an inside and outside gut job. And it was kind of a special project for us because... We wanted to renovate it just in time and move in and just in time for our first daughter to be born. So it was exciting. We got through it. We actually renovated through the winter and you know, on the exterior of a house in the wintertime isn't the greatest, but we got through <laughs> most of it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, especially Canadian winters too, it, they're pretty unforgiving. So we did get through it. We moved in 
early April 2014. And just a month later, our first daughter, Audrey, was born. So we looked around at the house and it looked, you know, aesthetically, it looked great. Uh, my wife uh, is an interior designer by trade. And so she made sure that it looked nice and it was functional. But then I picked up my first power bill uh, after doing this reno. And unfortunately, my power bill after the reno looked exactly the same as before the reno. And and without, without walls, without walls, probably the same. But, right. Yeah. Right. yeah, pretty well. <laughs> so, so I thought, you know, okay, we failed. We definitely failed somewhere. And for me, uh, also having kids has totally opened my eyes to the future. I think uh, when you have kids for me, at least for me, it triggered thinking about the future a lot more, what we're leaving behind for our kids and future generations. So it made me a lot more conscious about our collective footprint as a family. You know, never really considered myself much of an environmentalist up until that point. For that, I, I really started thinking about that stuff to its core. So like many homeowners, I ended up online and, you know, kind of searching for answers like, what did we do wrong with this reno? And how can we have a home that's more sustainable? And, you know, and not just from uh, an economical perspective as to, you know, saving money on my power bill, but also having a healthier home for my family and also a home that's better for the planet. So that is really what or how Rise got started. And uh, today we're essentially an online resource for homeowners who want to have a sustainable home and might not know where to get started. You know, I think that's interesting because, you know, our C-suite network that we have is for, you know, a trusted environment. So you can find good information about what you have to have because, you know, you go online and you start searching, I don't know, solar, you got to get through the crap first, right? Of all the fake stuff and everything else to get find the real people and then to find the innovative things and to find the things that really work over time. Is that part of the motivation is to be able to have a trusted source of information? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exactly how we grew up uh, as a company to become that authority, that credible source. And essentially, I wouldn't want to say like democratizing a lot of the information that was out there. I know when I kind of first looked online for information, I was either landing on really obscure forums that, you know, had really opinionated information, or very technical information. And for the average homeowner, like, we don't need that level of knowledge or expertise, like we just want to know whether we're making a good decision or not. When you're going to buy a product today, and I think we've all kind of grown up on thinking that companies have our best interest at heart when they may not. And so what that results in are, are products that may solve a problem, but they may also be creating other problems at the same time. Yeah. Rise is just there to illuminate essentially what, what those those problems may be and why certain products may be better than others when it comes time to home improvement. Yeah, I think most companies want to do the right thing. I don't think most companies say, I can't wait to get up and screw somebody. There are some like that, right? And there are some bad companies bringing in products from places that aren't at the same levels that we would see in terms of building supply companies, say in the US or Canada. I think of China and I think of other companies that maybe or other places where they might have the same values as we do. And so therefore, they'll, they'll make things that are, you know, more toxic or more whatever, or, or fake or I mean, there's a whole host of that I think we could point to. Do you mm-hmm. have a, I, I'm, I'm curious now, do you have a whole place or form where, where you point out the bad actors? <laughs> Keeping uh, in mind objectivity at, at its core, that's essentially where Rise wants to play. So we, we try not to bring down others, but 
we try to highlight the pros more than the cons. Right. As a homeowner, if you're making a large renovation or if you're building new, there's thousands of decisions that you're going to have to make. You know, something as simple as like, what type of countertop should you have? So there's a lot of considerations there. Like, what do you value in a good countertop? Do you care about it lasting a really long time? Or would you rather it just have a low environmental footprint that you're not just draining the planet's resources or, you know, maybe having to take a stone from a mountainside? Or do you care about just like the health of the components, like whether that countertop might be off-gassing? Or do you just care about all those things? And so for us, it's just about highlighting. At the end of the day, we've kind of noticed there's a pattern when it comes time to talk about these benefits. And typically, they're associated to either your health, your wealth, or the planet. So those are kind of the three pillars that we typically look at when we're we're talking about sustainability. To me, that's cool. I was wondering how you would kind of rate those things. I like that. Health, wealth, or planet. I think I would more go for things that are healthy or sustainable. But then I also got to watch the budget, too, because sometimes they're a little bit more expensive. Not always. I mean, and then I, it's interesting. You would say, well, what do you want to take the rock from the mountain? And I'm going like, yeah, I'll take it from the mountain. I don't have a problem with that. But but others would have a problem with that, right? Or, you know, I was just talking to, a, there's a sect in our group in India that will, will not eat anything unless it's fallen. They won't right, eat a root. Right. Like, I mean, I would be skinny and hungry. If that were the case, or I'd be looking for a lot of fallen cows. Let me tell you that right now. Um, Anyway, (laughs) but I'm all for it. I mean, my wife and I are talking about the solar side because we live, we have a ranch in South Dakota and we have all this beautiful sunlight all the time. It's one of the most funniest states in the country. Yet we don't have the things that we'd like to have, but we have wells. We have, we have a lot of natural things that we use. We use the river water for irrigation, you know, things like that. It's kind of cool. You made a really interesting point just on the the cost side and this is something that we we tackle every day and to kind of demystify this thing that's been going around for I think the last few decades that you know to to be green or to to have something that's more sustainable you have to pay more there's a couple of different points on that one is that like it a lot of it comes down to perspective and what your priorities are so huh. when you say it's more expensive well what do you mean by that is it a specific product or is it that you know when you build a house a the more sustainable house B is going to be more money. Well, I can tell you right now that house B is going to actually be cheaper because there's all these benefits that people don't talk about, like the resiliency and how long a house is going to stand or how how it's lower maintenance or how your operational costs are lower. And so disproving that or like showing people that it doesn't actually cost more, it actually costs more to build cheap or to build for less is, is something that we're very passionate about solving that problem and showing people that it isn't that way. And then there's the question of priority in terms of, well, do you want a more efficient house, one that's going to cost you less money? So maybe uh, you spend more money on insulation versus the, you know, getting the granite countertops that you've been eyeballing for a couple of years. So maybe you do the first one and, and insulate your house a little bit more so you pay less on your electricity bill and then save up the funds to get that granite countertop a few years down the road. So we've just seen so many homes and so many examples of projects that where homeowners are changing what really matters to them, the high-end finishes, or is it maybe like investing more in the structure and the envelope of the home and what it's uh, actually made with. Excellent points. In fact, speaking of wealth, 
I'm going to have to come back just a second. We did take a break and then we'll come right back. We'll talk about more and how to do this right. Before we went to the break, we were talking a little bit about total cost of ownership because that's really what that is. You really want to look at your total cost of ownership over a period of time of which you're going to stay in the house. If you do that, that's a smarter decision than, hey, what can I afford to get into? Or what's my budget to first get started with? And then kind of go from there. How do you deal with old versus new? Like using old recycled materials and just replacing out new. From a planet perspective, the best thing that you can do is not create anything new. Yeah. You know, we get the question of like, do we renovate this house that we just bought or do we tear it down and build new or the ability for folks to recycle or um, repurposing materials that, you know, to be honest, that that's just, I'm a big advocate of even using um, websites like Craigslist or like uh, in Canada, we have Kijiji. So -hmm. these are basically like classified ads where if I'm looking for something like, let's say I want a new shirt or maybe a new pair of headphones that I've been eyeing, like that's the first place I go because I know that just by like, I know that I'm going to buy them regardless, but if I can get them from somebody else who's not using them, then that way we're not creating anything new. I haven't put an extra strain on the environment by doing those things. So yeah, to your question, I think any time that you can save something from being created that's energy that's being saved somewhere. That's resources that aren't being drained on the environment. That's so, so important. I think buying wherever you can buy used or buying things that architectural elements that you go and find. You know, my wife is a big believer that I love that stuff too. And I also like building as close to nature as possible or what I would call natural. You know what I mean? Real wood, real stone, real stuff, not the fake tile, right? Get a real slate tile. Did you do that with your house too, Matt? I don't think initially I I really thought about it. Like a lot of it is funny enough. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. No. Yeah. And a lot of this uh, knowing comes through like education and it's a lot of why we're here and why we exist as a resource for homeowners. But you're right. And it's actually something that we're starting to see as kind of emerging trends and patterns in home building is that there's a lot of interest in materials that are a little bit close closer to nature, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think over the years, uh, the industry has spent a lot of time and a lot of dollars in R&D and producing products that are very heavy on the, the chemical side and very complex in nature. Uh, but then what we're starting to see is almost a, a surge of new technologies that are closer to nature. Things like hempcrete or hempwood. Mm-hmm. These are types of, I guess, newer technologies that are very, very simple to create, but at the end of the day, have such a low footprint and have all these benefits to it. It's really impressive to see some of these homes go up using these types of materials and uh, the types of benefits that homeowners are, are getting from them. Yeah. Or just other things. I mean, I know a company here that makes apartments and buildings based on containers. And a good friend of mine has is on the show called Building Off the Grid. On Discovery, and uh, Cappy's his name, and good friend of ours uh, lives in South Dakota, and he built a new home using four major containers. I'm telling you, it's just absolutely gorgeous, off the grid, solar panels, thermal pump coming out of the ground, the whole bit. It's, it's pretty cool when you see things like that being used. How did you decide to kind of tie it to a B Corp? I've kind of been on a, on a, a run with these B Corps lately because they're kind of tied to some of the stuff that we do with the Hero Factor and the Hero Club, not necessarily, but just doing things for the right reasons because you can do them. So 
what turned you on to doing a B Corp? Becoming a B Corp is something that I actually knew from the moment the company started that we would become a B Corp along the way. We actually certified as a B Corp just last year. Have also since then joined a 1% for the planet, which is kind of spun off a you know, similar initiatives, more focused on environmental causes where you, you give back 1% of your revenue to an environmental cause of your choice. Becoming a B Corp, I mean, for me, uh, social entrepreneurship is just something that I always took interest in. I knew when I went to school, I did, I did my MBA in, uh, in entrepreneurship. So I knew that I would have my own business one day. I think at that point, I didn't know what my business was going to be. I think it's probably the book, Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Chouinard. And Yvonne Chouinard is the founder of Patagonia, if you're familiar with oh, that yeah. Absolutely. company. Yep. That's a very, very good book. I recommend it for, any, for, for anyone who's uh, interested in, in B Corps and just doing things for the right reasons. I think we're at a point in our history, in, in the world's history, where we know we can make money. We've proven the model, like companies will come and go and we can make tons of money. But we're also at a point where that's kind of hindered a lot of industries. And now we need to start making decisions based on more than just money but also people and, and also the environment is we are at a pivotal time from that perspective as well. So B Corps are essentially just reinforcing that. And really, as you know, it's a sort of, there's a certification process you have to go through. It took us a full year to go through that certification process. While it was a lengthy exercise, it was just essentially papering a lot of the things that we were already sort of doing. We like to think we have a fairly progressive culture at Rise and we will continue to do so. But yeah, becoming a B Corp, you know, all that to say becoming a B Corp has just been one of those milestones for us that we're extremely happy that we achieved and that now we get to share with other B Corps and grow that way as well. I was just actually at the Leadership Summit. They have a, an annual uh, champions retreat. This year it was uh, in LA and it was just so fantastic. Yeah, it was just like meeting old family members. It's a fairly small family still. There's about 3,000 B Corps uh, worldwide. It's just one of those events where you get so much uh, exposure and and you just feel so good about the progress that we're making from some of the leading companies in the world. You know, I thought it was interesting that to go through that process really makes you commit to your values, the values you already knew you had, but now you got to put them down on paper. It has to be official. You eat it, you sleep it, you drink it, but it's something about putting it down on paper, right? And doing that, that makes you just feel like that's concrete. That's that's it, man. That's real. Oh, totally. It's just holding your yourself accountable. And like you said, I mean, you know, for us, I think also the reason and the nature of the company is that, you know, I, I think a lot of what we're doing as a company, it's almost kind of built into our DNA, where we're trying to help homeowners to have a home that is going to benefit them personally. So it's good for people and then benefit the planet at the same time. So it's really just almost an extension of what we're doing, but you're right in getting it on paper has a, a ton of value. Have you been surprised about your growth? <laughs> wow, that's an interesting question. That's why I ask these things, you know? When you start a business, like, unless you've been doing it for decades and decades, I mean, this is the first business that, I, that I've started uh, right. personally, and you never really know what to expect or the things that are going to come at you or the type of progress that you're going to make. I mean, the first couple of years are definitely the roughest. You're definitely put through the ringer. That's probably where you 
you see the most sacrifices and you endure the most pain. So if you can get through the first couple of years, I feel like you've you've come a long way already. It's kind of like building your first house, right? You're, you're totally right. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know until you go through it and you go, shit, I'd never do that again. Or I've nailed the nail on my hip, my thumb. Oh, don't do that again. You know, right? Yeah. Same kind of thing. And you make that list mentally like, hey, when I do this again, now I'll know, right? You know, somebody asked me recently as part of another interview, I think they asked me, knowing what you know now, how would you, what would you do differently uh, with Mm -hmm. your company? And my answer was actually like, absolutely nothing. And despite all these ups and downs and these things where you have some days you're just like in a slump or things aren't going your way or whatever. At the end of the day, I like the way that I approached the business was this is going to be a learning experience. You know, I don't have all the answers right now, but I want to find out the answers. And I'm curious. And that sort of curiosity has permeated throughout the culture of our company. So we're, we're a very curious bunch, but we also realize that we don't have all the answers. But each and every one of us on the team is extremely excited to find out those answers and learn through this. So if you approach it as a learning process, I feel like you're kind of self-aware also that you don't, you don't know everything. I think... And there's something to be said about that. Oh, well, you just you just described what it's like to be an entrepreneur, the ups and downs. One day you're going to I'm the champion of the world. The next day you're going, oh, my God, I suck. I'm not <laughs> worthy. It's terrible. <laughs> One day I got cash. Next day I got nothing. So that's the way <laughs> right. it works. You know, and uh, people ask me that same question, Matt, all the time. You know, I bought and sold over 250 businesses in my career, wow. about 25 billion in transaction. And people say, hey, would you do it differently? I go, absolutely not. Because that's what makes it yours and what makes it your journey. It's great to see you guys having the success you're having. Hey, brother, keep rocking it. Keep making it. Keep looking to help other people with sustainable home and inspiring others and being a trusted source. That's what makes you so special. And we're so glad to have you here on the Hero Factor on C-Suite Radio. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. I wrote down two things, one, health, wealth, and planet. That's, that's a great way to make decisions, isn't it? Kind of like Stephen Covey's had, he had four things you should think of in making a decision of the ha- seven habits of highly successful people. Go look that up, okay? But I like that health, wealth, and planet. And those are the cool things. Those are like conditions of satisfaction for him and what he does and the, the way he sh- he's helping homeowners. Maybe what are yours? And I have my own. What are yours? And the other one I liked was papering. The papering, what you already knew. When he sat down, he had to figure out he was going to be a a B Corp. He had to paper what he already knew. Well, that puts it into concrete for you. I'm always a believer that in order for you to really remember it and believe it, you got to teach it to others. So there you go. Hey, that's what we learned right here on The Hero Factor with Jeff Razor right here on C-Suite Radio. Don't forget, tell your friends. I'd love for them to tune in and listen to us wherever you're listening to podcasts. Thanks so much. You've been listening to The Hero Factor podcast on C-Suite Radio. Find this and other podcasts like this on C-SuiteRadio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.